Welcome to the Fanboy Strike Back Comic Review Podcast, episode 55. Fanboys Strike Back comic review podcast. I'm Eric. I'm David. And we have the Fanboys Who Strike Back. Uh, most weeks we come here and we like to uh, chat about the comics that came out. And uh, what David and I do is we pick a comic for each other that usually we wouldn't normally pick up. And it's a little uh, little challenge to each other to see what, he, see what we think of those comics. And then uh, we talk about other ones that we enjoyed this week or, or maybe didn't enjoy so much. And uh, generally, we, we usually have some extra features. We're going to be doing a, a short show this week uh, just due to our schedules. But um, with that said, uh, just be warned, we're going to go in-depth on all of this. So uh, spoilers abound. So uh, with that, um, I chose for David to uh, pick up Batman 62, uh, the first part of the last rights issue. Now, And I'll go on a disclaimer saying I... Uh, I, I screwed up last week, and I thought last week's was the uh, last Grant Morrison issue, and he's he's got two of these last rights books, and then then he's done. Uh, that's what it appears. Um, did I ever do something to you? Did I offend you in any way that you were picking these books for me? Years, years of just having to listen to you and your X-Men and... <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't really have much of a review for this issue because I have no idea what's going on. All I can say is that I know that at the very end we find out that he's back in his little, I don't know, his, his chamber, which they put him in in Final Crisis. And so I have no idea what happened in this book, though. I have no effing clue. No well, it's clue. Just a, it's just a recap of, like, his, his but career. Not, so you, but well, is it... But it didn't seem like some of the stuff was true. It seemed like some of the stuff was made up. Well, that's now that's what I want to get in into about. And yeah, the the finale of it is he's being held in the device from Final Crisis. Right. So that, that's the whole thing is like, is this really happening? See, that's what, yeah, now because now people are saying that maybe R.I.P. never happened, but that all, the whole thing in R.I.P. I, was all in his head. I don't think that's going to be the case, but. It's it's a possibility, but um, I thought it was I thought it was good on parts. But this is kind of the thing where you know you kind of have to make your own continuity because there's so much out there, and after years and years and years of stories, you know they don't all fit together. There's a million different retellings of like how Dick Grayson left and became Nightwing. Right. There's a million different tellings of uh, you know Bruce's early career, and this one picks up the first pages uh, right after a scene in Batman Year One, where he's just come in and the bat broke through the window, and and, uh, and Al- it seems like Alfred is telling the story in the future, and he's looking back on it. And what Graham Morrison has done... Uh, well, look, let me go back. To, to say, like, make your own continuity. I was always very happy with, like, the uh, post-Crisis uh, on Infinite Earths Batman, where 
he rebooted with Batman Year One. It was darker, and they did away with all those Silver Age stories. They pretty much just said, "Yeah, it, that never happened," and that was fine by me. Cause no aliens, no Batwoman, no none, none of that. See, Fluff, yeah, that was my. Was I was up to speed on this whole thing because I liked the whole him discovering the Bat, going through his earlier part of his career. Dick Grayson comes into the fray. But when they threw Batwoman in and stuff, I had no idea where that stuff was coming from. That stuff I didn't know before, and that's when I started to get really confused. Yeah, well, this, like, everything they go through, and they even, the artist in this book even starts to draw Batman's early career. They show him sneaking into uh, Dr. Hugo Strange's lab, and he looks like the Bob Kane-drawn Batman with the big ears coming out the side and, mm-hmm. and everything like that. But, um, I mean, they even bring in, like, a... Uh, Julie Madison, and that was one of Bruce's early loves. What Grant Morrison is doing is he's incorporating the Golden Age stories, the Silver Age stories, and trying to, instead of saying it just never happened or it was Batman of Earth 2 or, or, or what, he's trying to make all those stories fit into our Batman's continuity at this point. And, um, and it's an interesting take. Like It's just not, it's not my particular taste. I, I prefer if we just don't acknowledge him anymore some of those older stories because they were just a little too zany for my taste. But uh, that's where a lot of this with the Batwoman came in. She was a Golden Age character. Gold, well, not a Golden Age, but a Silver Age character when they were really cluttering up the whole Bat family and making it a lot more friendly and, and bright and chipper. And they even kind of showed that, you know, one of the Alien Worlds things was in her head. And they they had a, a bit in here with... Uh, the Joker as as the, the happy-go-lucky criminal who just pulled pranks, and we had a smiling Batman. And I'm just like, that's it's fine for Silver Age stories in that context, but in this darker, grittier Batman world, and even the world that Grant Morrison is trying to tell, it just doesn't really fit. And so I just didn't I just didn't buy a lot of it. I thought it was interesting that he was trying what he was trying to do, but at the same time, I I didn't like it. And then right after we get introduced to Simon Hurt with the isolation experiment, the uh, thing starts, the story starts to shift. And this is where Grant Morrison starts getting into his weird and wacky uh, way of telling stories where he bounces around. It's like an episode of Heroes where they jump all over you right. know, back and forth between times and stuff. And then we see him in the final crisis chair. Uh, we see him uh, back in the back cave, Dick Grayson growing up and becoming Nightwing, uh, which, you know, like I said, a million different ways that happened. It's, it's never happened this smoothly, this transition, where he just shows, turns around and, oh, he's in the Nightwing costume. Um, and there's just a lot of bizarre... It, it took a lot of bizarre turns in the last half of the issue, and so it's really hard to know where it's going until the next issue comes out. Um, if, if This one felt incomplete to me. Like, I, I just needed more out of it. I I don't even know. So the stuff with this the Lum character and everything, that's all Final Crisis stuff, yes? The what? Yes, the Lump. Like, that's the, yeah. the, the guy that that's the guy that's doing all the stuff to him in Final Crisis, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's them, like, experimenting, going through his head and, and everything like that. Like, it looks like they're trying to create Batman soldiers and stuff like that. I did like the art. Uh, what was his name? Lee Garrett? Yeah. Lee, Lee Garbett. Um, I thought his art was really, is very like uh, Jim Lee-esque, but it was very clean. I really like the art, I can say that. I, uh, I don't, uh, it's just so confusing. 
<laughs> you just really don't care for Grant Morrison's storytelling, do you? You know, it was, it's funny because I was talking to Quok on Twitter and stuff because he was talking about how he listened to our last show. And as soon as you picked the last issue of R.I.P. for me, he knew that it was going to be a disaster. The thing is, is that I don't even think, like, it's just, it's not the fact that I hate his writing and, like, his story. It's just that it's just weird. And, like, a lot of people, I, I don't know. I feel like there are people who really like Grant Morrison, but I also feel like there's a lot of people who like Grant Morrison just because it's the cool thing to do. Like, I hear a lot of people talking about how people who don't like Grant Morrison are just, like, inintelligent because his stories are so dense and you just you just can't understand it. And I just think that that's just garbage. Like, I feel like he cannot tell a story, like, just straight to... Like you said, like, he bounces around and everything. And, like, there are certain times where I can see it. Like, in terms of his new X-Men... I hated his new X-Men just because of the continuity, but his story was a good story, and it was something that the X-Men really needed. This stuff is just, like, it's too weird. Like, it's just too bizarre. It's too hard to follow. Yeah, well, it I seems have... like he got... What's that? Oh, sorry, go ahead. It seems like he got too much, um, maybe, control of the sandbox. But, like, if you go back... I mean, he he can write linear stories, and, and I agree with you totally that it's not a matter of, like... You know, you just don't get it, and it's 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 grand and wonderful. It's totally a a, a preference about his writing, but you know, and, and like you said, the the new X Men storyline it, it worked, and it was what the X Men needed at the time. And and his Arkham Asylum book in nineteen eighty nine was um, was great, and it wasn't something that jumped around all over the place. It was it was bizarre without trying to be bizarre for being bizarre's sake. Yeah. This one with R I P and. I, I'm, I'm not, I won't say it about Final Crisis because I like Final Crisis a little bit better. But R.I.P., it's been good, but it's it's definitely, like, some some moments it's like he's trying to be bizarre for just being bizarre's sake. Right. And I, I, and I enjoy it, but I don't agree with all the choices that he's making. And, and like I said with this one, I, I don't care for him trying to cram all of the... Uh, of storylines into the continuity of this character. I, I liked it when they rebooted it and just started with the clean slate. And that was exactly why they started with the clean slate, because right. it didn't make sense that you had a 1930s Batman who, you know, carried a gun and was dark. And then 20 years later, he was smiling and fighting people in other dimensions and aliens. And it, it was just was, you know, it didn't make sense. So why not reboot it? Um, much like, like was this, yeah. Like, was this really needed? I mean, I don't think so. And the thing is, like, we just had another reboot you know, four or five years ago after Infinite Crisis, and it, I don't think it was really needed at all. It might have—I thought that reboot was just going to kind of trim the edges a little bit and, and clean up the last, you know, fifteen years or so. But uh, that hasn't really been the case at all. Instead, it seems like this reboot, uh, ever since Infinite Crisis came out, it seems like afterwards there's been so much emphasis in the DC uh, staff to implement Silver Age elements. And we've talked about this before. Yeah. It seems to be kind of a tendency with the writers. And uh, I just, I don't think that's necessary. But yeah, I at, hear you. At, yeah. At the same time, I think this is an interesting story. And, you know, I, 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 I like the premise of uh, getting rid of Bruce Wayne for a while because I always like it when he, when he comes back. 
now like exploring that that time when he's gone but i think as far as getting rid of him goes like i i think nightfall handled it much more effectively than r.i.p did um, so yeah that's yeah. my two cents on it okay fair enough still confusing I, I I mean I have to say that I, I am intrigued that I don't really normally like Batman, but I and I do like Bruce Wayne, but I do want to read. I mean the only times I've read Batman were when Hush came out, so I read it for that year, and the other time I read Batman before that was when um, he got his back broken. Which is I mean this is that's what this event supposed to do. It's supposed to make people who you know, don't normally read Batman, read it. So I don't know. I I don't know who's going to be writing all the stuff, which we talked about last week, but I'll, I'll stick with it. I'll try it. Okay. Um, well, on the other side of the fence, I picked up, uh, X and furnace and okay. Now (laughs) let me just say, I, I, you know, disclaimer, I don't, I don't know much about X-Men history. I know there's a story and I know who, uh, it's Ileana Rasputin. Ileana, yeah. Ileana. And, okay, so just from this issue, I gleaned that years ago something happened to her. She's stuck in uh, limbo. limbo. But in the meantime, she seems to have become like a demon warrior girl. Like like a Xena demon. Uh, Ileana was, is Peter's younger sister. She's a mutant with the power of teleportation. Part of her thing is that she became um, the Dark Child, which is basically she became ruler of Limbo, and she she has a tie to Pixie because she, basically Iliana and I don't remember this was Inferno the very first Inferno storyline something about how her soul was pure so Belasco who was the ruler of Limbo took her soul something weird and that ended up making her like basically like a, a sorceress and almost like half demon. And so yeah. that's why she has her soul sword and everything. And um, those things were lost to her. And she was kind of left in this demon state, which Ileana died years ago in the X-Men. But she, we just found out that she was still alive in new X-Men a couple of years ago, maybe even last year. And that's where this is coming from. This is her new form, this new dark child form, where she's evil, but it's like she's trying to get... She basically, she's trying to get her soul back, but she'll do whatever it takes for that to happen. Okay. And I and I got most of that. I didn't think this was, like, overly confusing. Mm-hmm. And I loved the, uh, the artwork. I'm trying to even figure out how to pronounce that guy's name. Yeah. Uh, Giuseppe Kemencoli. But uh, the artwork was great. I loved that opening scene between Peter and Scott and uh, how how Peter kind of told Scott, you know, you wouldn't care about any, you know, you left your brothers for dead out in space. And, you know, how would you care about family? And there was a little confrontation between the two of them. I, I really enjoyed that. And um, I did enjoy the stuff with Pixie and with Beast. I thought all the X-Men were written really well. It was yeah. at night, too. And so... It wasn't terribly confusing. I thought it was fun. I'm going to keep reading this series as it comes out. It's four-issue miniseries. Um, and I've never really been a big Colossus fan either, but after reading uh, Astonishing, Whedon's Astonishing, I've I've really kind of grown to like him a lot more as kind of a stand-up kind of character, especially after it came back. 
And uh, I, the only, I, I had a little trouble with the soul dagger and the soul sword, and I, I didn't know where that was coming from. But um, right. I, I do get that it's Ileana trying to get her soul back. So with that, it's, it was a beautiful book. A uh, little bizarre for the X-Men, but mm-hmm. I, I think if you're going to have a story like this, there's probably no better group in Marvel to have it with than the X-Men. Yeah, I maybe mean, this... The, maybe the, doc- the Fantastic yeah, Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange. It's it is kind of weird mixing the magic part with the mutants because it doesn't really go together. But that was that was always Ileana's thing. Um, a lot of people were upset when Pixie showed up because Pixie is basically the same as Ileana. Pixie's a teleporter, and Pixie ended up in that same story where we found out that Ileana was back. Ileana basically does the same thing to Pixie that was done to her. And so that's why Pixie has a soul dagger and everything. Because Ileana did the same exact thing. Mm. So the revel- the only big revelation in this one is that Pixie, unknown to her, attacked Nightcrawler. And when she pulled out her soul dagger of Nightcrawler, she pulled out the soul sword with, with it. Which... I'm not sure if Ileana placed that in Nightcrawler at some point, because I know Ileana and Nightcrawler were really close. But, um, yeah, this was actually pretty good. Um, Another thing that happened in Inferno was um, the reemergence of Madeline Pryor as the Goblin Queen, and we just saw her come back in Uncanny. So I don't know if that's going to play into this whole thing, but I guess we'll wait and see. I was kind of hesitant. When this came out, so I was like, uh, "This could be a bad idea," but it was it was pretty good. I'd probably give it like a seven, seven point five out of ten. Yeah, so you enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was good. Okay, well, um, let's talk about the big nut this week. The yep. end of a uh, secret invasion. Yeah, secret invasion eight of eight came out. What'd you uh, think? I have to say, I was I was very disappointed. Um, I've been. Um, I you know I've been on the Secret Invasion bandwagon the whole time. I, I've loved the idea. I love the setup. I was reading every single book, um, and a lot of people, you yourself included, were kind of voicing their opinions about how not much was happening in the story. And I was getting to the point where I was like, okay, that's true, but I'm just hoping that there's going to be a payoff. And issue eight came out, and I feel like there just wasn't a payoff. Well, I was disappointed. I felt there. Were, I, I was. I guess I was disappointed for different reasons. Um, I didn't think. Okay, so I, w- I was always waiting for someone really big to get revealed because right. it was always seemed like it was, you know kind of side characters and stuff like that, and that really never happened except. Um, and then and then you know usually you have a big death in in these storylines, and it was the wasp and. I just don't have any emotional connection. I know she was a an original Avenger and everything like that, but I had a little bit of trouble, and I've heard this from other people too, but a little bit of trouble believing like the villains would be so, you know, upset when she dies. And I know it's kind of an us versus them type of thing, so that might be it. But uh, the appointment, and we're going to talk about the ending here, the appointment of uh, Norman Osborn at the end. Yeah. I, I was conflicted. I really didn't like that the president just gave all this power to Norman Osborn. They know he was the Green Goblin, right? Like, that's public information. I don't. I feel like I don't know. I They have to. I'm pretty sure that that's public information. Um, like, I mean, you put this guy, like, you put him in that much power, like, 
there's got to be a psychiatric file or something like that. And they would never, like, if this, if they knew he was a criminal, I just feel like that that's so lame that they would just give a criminal, even an ex-criminal or supposedly reformed, that much power. And he was like a super criminal. So there's that. Um, and then the Illuminati at the end, the bad Illuminati, I was kind of confused by because, uh, you know, of course we see um, Emma Frost there. And I'm like, well, what the hell is she doing there? Namor. So, and I, and I, gonna... I know that stuff's going to be revealed, but I, I felt the same way. I think, um, okay, the, the thing with the Wasp, is, and that was a big death, is that, and that, and that was, to me was a big deal, because the Wasp is, um, the Wasp is a, bit, a big character, and she's one of the founding Avengers. The, the problem was, is that there was never any depth to what was going on with the wasp we only found out at the very end of last issue that she was turning into something we didn't know what and then basically her fate is sealed within like the first three pages of this book i mean they say the scrolls are trying to turn her into a biological weapon we never get a clear idea of what's happening to her and basically we're still it still wasn't really clear how she died it made it sound like thor was killing her and Thor was trying to put it out of, out of her misery, or maybe she was, like, self-destructing, it, it was really unclear to me what happened to her. Yeah. And, well, there was that... Oh, go ahead. And it was... That, it, that was just the thing, where it's just, if, if you're going to kill Janet, which... Janet, that's a big deal. That's one of the... She's one of the founding Avengers, and not only that, is that she's just... It's kind of... It's almost like killing Sue Storm. I mean, it's that same kind of personality. And so if if you're going to kill someone like the Wasp, it should be very big and it should really tug at your heart. And my reaction was like, okay, the Wasp is dead and I don't even understand what just happened. Like there was no emotion to it at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is I felt nothing. I did like uh, Thor kind of giving it to Tony and saying – you know, this this doesn't change anything between you and us. And that's what I wanted, because at the end of it, it's like everyone came off the ship and they, they all of a sudden trust each other again. Like, I really want, and, and I'm kind of pissed that we all of a sudden get thrust into Dark Reign, because I really want this to be explored further. Like, there's got to still be some trust issues between people and, you know, Tony and Peter and all, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, so I did like the Nick Fury angle. I mean, uh, Dugan comes off and with some other S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who I don't know, and Fury sees them, and Fury just teleports out of there, and it just kind of shows that Fury still doesn't trust these people, which is... Yeah, and, that, and that's what I think should happen, and I think we should get, like, a couple months still of that, like, them trying to, you know, maybe round up the remaining scrolls and just try and figure out what that, you know... Right. ...grow to become more comfortable again. And it's fine if they trust each other in a couple months or something like that, but... We need some time. I felt like this just happened way too quickly, and like there was almost too much to try and wrap up here, and then also to try and what like the last four or five pages are all completely devoted to uh, setting up the next event, and I was just like, "Come on, like I I need some, you know, wrap this up first and let us digest it before giving us dessert or the next course," you know? Yeah, I feel like. There's, I feel like there's two big things that should have come out of Secret Evasion. Number one, someone who was long dead should have returned, which we got with the Mockingbird, but I was not satisfied with that because, first of all, we had basically seen it already, so it wasn't a big deal. 
and she's not a huge character, so I was a little bit iffy on that. And the second, which was the most important thing, is that someone earth-shattering, huge, was supposed to have been, should have been a scroll the whole time. And that did not happen. The closest thing that that came to happen was Spider-Woman. And we saw that in New Avengers, not even Secret Evasion. And while that was a big deal, it it still needed to be someone bigger. Yeah, I agree. So It it just felt like so kind of sitcom-y when she came off the ship and like, what's been going on? You know, like... And it's just like wah wah wah. Like okay, now everything's everything's back, you know. So I mean, what I can say is that um, again, a lot of people have been talking about like the events at Marvel, and they're talking about Dark Rain, and they're saying that it's just it's just too much. I mean, what I can say about that is that Dark Rain really isn't an event. I mean, the initiative came after Civil War. And the initiative wasn't an event. The initiative was just saying, okay, this is how Civil War has changed the Marvel Universe, which I think Dark Reign is. So I don't think Dark Reign is an event. I think they're pushing Dark Reign way too much. Like, way, way too much. But I don't think people have to be, like, you know, too concerned with that. Yeah. Um, another thing I want I do, I do have to say, though, that this book was gorgeous. Like, yeah. Linnell, you put it down in this book because this book was just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, you know, I've I've always liked his art. I a lot of people said originally it was too sketchy. Mm-hmm. I think in this one, uh, the inks made a little bit of more difference in that to where things were a little bit better defined, I guess. But uh, no, it was it was a gorgeous book. I just I have kind of some of the same problems you had with it, and. Um, like I, I agree with Dark Rain, it's not really an, an event, but it's um it's a big story. And the way I look at an event is I define it as something that's gonna that tries to change the status quo. Yeah. And it feels like every year they try and change the Marvel status quo and we it, it's just it it needs time to settle a little bit. It's so, too bad because I was really I and I think you were too, I was really enjoying the initiative. Like it the idea of that the whole initiative and I mean the Avengers the initiative book which has been great um, I was really enjoying that universe and it's it's sad that that's going to be leaving I don't know how I feel about Dark Reign and about the villains controlling everything I do like the idea of them getting rid of Tony Stark I like the idea that Stark tech is no longer used by the government I think that that's going to make him a very interesting character and his book very interesting Mm-hmm. But Norman Osborn in control, I I don't know how I feel about that. Well, I just didn't buy for a second that they would put him in control. And, I, you know, I don't like Thunderbolts. I don't read it because kind of for the same reason. But um, it's a little bit easier to swallow in that one. Because if, you know, you have a, ex group, of, a, a group of reformed criminals who are going to put in, you know, leader of them is someone who, you know, they, they might be able to trust a little bit more and you might be able to trust he's a... Re- a known reformed criminal, but right. for someone as bad as a reformed criminal as this guy was, like this was a guy who threw little girls off bridges, and you're gonna appoint him, you know, the head of, you know, a huge government branch. I do like that they did away with Tony for a little while because I think he's just been way too uh, overexposed over the last year, and so I found that interesting. Them doing away with Shield, I thought was very interesting. It it creates, I, I kind of I'm. Ex- not excited, but I'm interested in the direction that the Marvel U is going to go in 
However, I just felt like getting there, there was a lot of uh, a lot of trips and falls getting there. I feel like, I mean, this is almost like the Civil War. I mean, the initiative was great, but a lot of people didn't like Civil War. And I feel like, I, I was one of the people that really liked Civil War, but I feel like this is the same thing now, where Secret Invasion came out, Secret Invasion itself wasn't that good. It might be setting up something better, but, I mean, that's that shouldn't be the thought, you know what I mean? Especially with the fact that Bendis has been setting this up for five years, and it's been so exciting. And then to have it fizzle out at the very end is just really disappointing. So I, yeah. I would give it, I would give it probably like a six out of ten. I mean, it wasn't awful. It just didn't deliver what it should have. I'd give it a five out of ten. I, you know, I was really excited for Secret Invasion, and with each issue, I kind of got less and less excited. And toward the end, it just kind of like. It just fizzled out for me, and you know, I, I felt like there should have been a big emotional punch or something like that. And I, I, I had no emotion reading this book, so for me, it's a little different. Now, I loved New Avengers. New Avengers was good. New Avengers uh, number forty-seven. Uh, Bendis and I think Billy Tan, uh, and this was just this was part of the offshoot of what we saw in. Secret Invasion, this just dealt with Luke Cage and basically him telling his child how um, he fell in love with Jessica Jones. And it was really great because um, uh, I think Michael Gatos, who was the, um, the artist on Alias, came back and drew those scenes, which were quite a treat if you had read Alias before. Uh, and th- this book is just, this is like what Bendis really knows and what Bendis really does great. This book was just a lot of dialogue and a lot of the relationships between these characters, between Luke and Jess. And yeah, this was great. I mean, I read this right after Secret Invasion and I really liked it. It, it, it kind of puts a little a bad taste in your mouth because I think, to go back, one of the problems with Secret Invasion is that we didn't find out what happened with the baby. And that was kind of a big deal going into it. And I don't, I'm not sure what it is with Marvel in terms of having things to do with babies and leaving them unresolved, just like Messiah Complex. But this issue in itself was really good. Yeah, I mean, reading, I read Secret Invasion first, and and uh, we know the baby disappeared. And I was like, well, what, they're just not, they're going to leave that open? Mm-hmm. And so it was nice that we got that story. We didn't get that story yet, but it's being set up to be explored in here. Um, I really enjoyed the flashback sequence, especially with uh, Luke Cage's father's doorstep. And that I was really good. His stepmom, like you see, like the the moment you see like his dad walk by in the background and then just keep walking, like oh my god! It, like and the artwork was incredible. The way you know it plays with shadows, and you really feel like you're standing out, you know, in the country on this guy's doorstep. And it was just a really, really beautiful scene. Mm-hmm. But uh, but basically, it leaves off with the same scene that we had in Secret Invasion, where they show up and the and the baby was abducted. And I agree totally with you that that was like one of the big leadoffs to Secret Invasion. You know, we saw the baby with the green eyes, and it's like, well, what happened? And you know, and it's it, it might be safe to assume that there's still something there that can be explored. But you kind of thought that was going to be a bigger part of the Secret Invasion story, right? So, and as it stands, neither Luke or Jessica is a, is a scroll. So, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't get that. And 
and, and, and to be fair, I, I shouldn't get that yet. So that's going to be the story that unfolds. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. You know, I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10, too. I mean, and just what we were kind of talking about. Like, I got a very emotional reaction out of this, especially with what you're talking about with Luke and his dad. And then even if you look at the last page, it's just Luke finding out that, you know, the baby is gone. And just the look on his face, it's just, it it kills me. And that's, the, you know, the kind of reaction I was looking for in Secret Evasion. And it's too bad I didn't get it. But, yeah, I mean, I had the same kind of problems with the fact that this baby and the story probably should have been dealt with. But that being said, this issue was a, a solid issue. Like, 7 out of 10 for me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, last book I want to talk about, Justice Society of America number 21, which seems like we're just getting these, like, every week now. Yeah, well, we've, we've had one every week for the last month, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. And so this picks up right where the, the special left off, where with Gog requesting that the JSA worship him now. Um, and, and basically, when they kind of say no, he he takes back all the gifts that he's bestowed upon them. So you know, Citizen Steel, they he takes uh, kind of uh, his power away. They take he he even takes back Magog's power at the end. So I'm wondering, is this kind of the penultimate chapter of the storyline, or are they going to leave Magog as a part of the DCU after this, or are they really just going to take back the power and, and kill him off? But it, it was creepy. I mean, we all knew Gog was going to turn somehow, and he's kind of like a spoiled child. It was, it was really weird. So, like, just, you know, doing stuff to get stuff, get something in return. It's, it's not the uh, benevolent being that you know that everyone thought he was. So it, it was great when when he turned. It was wonderful. I loved it. Yeah, I thought this was good. I didn't think that this was great. Um, I I honestly didn't have a problem with the story, but I, I to be honest, I had a problem with the art. Like I thought the art in this uh, issue was not well done. It's well, like a lot of times it was ugly. Did you do you have the book in front of you? Yeah. Well, the problem they switch between um, Eagle Shim and they also go and they switch between him and and Jerry Ordway. Jerry, Jerry Ordway. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, because sometimes it looks great, especially in the beginning, but then there's certain panels where it just looks ugly. Like, it, and it doesn't look bad. It just looks. It I guess when, style. yeah, when you compare it, like, do you like? There's a big, um, the big splash page where Kingdom Come Superman stops the bolt of lightning, and his eyes are off, off, off center and stuff. He looks like uh, what's the what's the dude from the Goonies name? Chunk. <laughs> well, Chunk's no. Uh, the, uh, uh, sloth. sloth. <laughs> he looks like sloth. Like if you look at it, he looks like sloth. And I was like, oh, Kingdom Come <laughs> Superman does not look good right now. <laughs> Ooh, seven bad day. Well, I mean, it was just—it was jarring. There's a page where it goes from um, uh, the younger wildcat going down or being taken back by his dad, and then the next uh, page, Sandman's coming out of the or yeah, Sandman's coming out of the ground. Yep. And that's where the art switched, and it jarred me. Like I, at that point, I had to go back and be like, who, who, who did this? And it was Jerry Ordway. You know, Jerry Ordway—he's a classic artist, and and you know, loved him back in the day, but. He doesn't. It doesn't fit the style and tone of this book. And I don't know if Eaglesham just has too much stuff on his schedule right now. I don't know what else he's doing. Yeah. But uh, I don't know why he couldn't finish this. And um, 
it took me out of the book because at that point I'm going back and I'm and at this point I'm looking to see who does the artwork on each page now whenever I turn a page. Yeah, me too. And so that that bothered me quite a bit. And yeah, and no offense to Ordway, like I said, he's a classic artist, but he's just not the same type of caliber as Eaglesham. Yeah, and like I I feel like again the story was good, but that was just something that took me out of it. Um, and it's too bad that it had to happen in this issue of all the issues. If it would have happened in the specials, or if it would have happened before, that would have been a big deal. But this is the issue where you know things finally turn, you know, which is what we've been waiting for the whole time. So for the art to be a little bit iffy on this issue was kind of a letdown. Um, I do have to say, though, that I was really afraid for Jay Garrick for a second on this issue. And I was, like, God starts tearing him down with some lightning, and he, he does not let up. And I'm just like, what, what's going on? They're, they're not going to kill Jay. What, it, so, someone help him. Um, and so I had a little panic attack. But, I mean, the story's so good. And it's great to see how God flips so so quickly, like you said, like you like calling him a spoiled child was almost perfect because he's been so nice and so calm and so, you know, great, and then all of a sudden he's like, You're not gonna worship me. Well, no, I want he's like a, a little kid who you took his toy and now he wants it back. Yeah, he has a he has a temper tantrum. Mm-hmm. And so, so- yeah, I really like the uh, the the last page was beautiful. Just him taking away Magog's power, and it's I mean, what's going to happen to him because he was dead before? Well, that's the thing that surprised me. I thought out of all of them, Magog was going to be the one to say, "I will worship you" or something like that. And yeah. and the fact that he didn't, I was I I, I liked that because it took the story in a in a place I didn't think it was going to go. Yeah, so, it was great, but now I guess I guess Jeff Johns is leaving the book, and Dale. Yeah, but he's going to finish up this story. Yeah, they're they're going to finish up the story. They're going to be leaving with issue twenty six, which is just sad because this is this is probably my well right now with uh, Green Lantern. This is my favorite book of DC right now. This might be one of my favorite books altogether. So it'll be sad to see it go. Yeah, but if he's if he's leaving it to go and do things like the Flash and Green Lantern, Blackest yeah. Night. I'm all for it. Like I'm, I'm salivating true. at the prospect of that Flash Rebirth book. Very true. Cannot wait. So it it was it was a good book. I'm I'm still enjoying it, and I it's I don't know. I I'm still kind of hesitant because I feel like sometimes the Kingdom Come characters are a little forced into the situations to reinforce that it's kind of a a pseudo sequel to Kingdom Come. Yeah. But ignoring that, I think. I think it's a. I I love it. It's a great storyline. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I will still give it a seven out of ten, just because the art wasn't really up to par. But other than that, yeah, it's still a great story. Yeah. So uh, that does it for us this week. Um, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can uh, send us an email at contact at fanboystrikeback dot com. Uh, we'll be back next time, uh, hopefully with some heroes reviews. Uh, we've been watching the show and. Oh, it, it got good this week. Oh, it really did. So yeah, we will we'll be talking about it next week. Um, next week we're going to have the last episode that's going to finish off the villain's arc. And man, if it's if it's as good as this week's episode, poof. Yeah, I was I was a little let down in the middle part of the season, but it came back strong. Mm-hmm. So uh, enjoyed that quite a bit, and um, you can talk to us about it on the on our forums at comic book. Uh, forums.com 
And um, to get there, you can go to our website at www.fanboystrikeback.blogspot.com, and we have a link to our forums on there. And uh, we'd love to see you on there. Love to chat with you uh, on on there about any old topic. Uh, well, you can also find us on most podcasters out there. Yep, iTunes, Podcast Alley. Uh, just like Eric said, most podcasters. If you like the show, please leave us a review. That helps us out. Um, helps people get the get the show, get the word of mouth out there. Uh, new listeners, which is always great. And you can also call us on our voicemail line, um, which is at 206-350-2354. If you have a question or a comment for us, just give us a call, leave us a message, and then we'll play that on the show. Um, we're also sponsored by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is a great place to get um, trades at ridiculous discounts. Um, Eric, you need to start buying more Walking Dead trades from there. I need to brush up on my powers trades, I think. And I don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking for something else too. I need a new. I've been given. I've been given at the Instock Trades address to uh to people for Christmas shopping. There you go. That's so. uh yeah. That's actually that's a really good idea. I might have to do that with my family and friends too. Yeah. So yeah, that does it for this week. Kind of a short show, but we will be back, like uh, like Eric said, with more comp reviews next week, and we will have a an in depth uh, discussion of the heroes finale. So we'll see you next week. Bye.